We are here in Blantyre, Malawi, the warm heart of Africa, as Malawi is known as, with our brother, Malamulo Chindongo. It's great to be with you. He's pastor of Antioch Baptist Church. So, brother, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, you've been pastoring Antioch Baptist Church since 2008. Uh-huh. Had the opportunity to be with your wonderful family last night, your wife Rachel, and your two daughters. But even before we get to those details, yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit about your testimony. Mm-hmm. So I read that as you described how you came to Christ, you said specifically you were on the road to the city of destruction, which seems to me yeah. to be a nod to pilgrim's progress and not only that but also to romans 5 verse 6 where christ died for the ungodly walk us through a little bit briefly of how the lord saved you yes so uh, i came to christ um when i was in college Uh, i was doing engineering here in blanta at uh, uh, college of polytechnic um and my i was in my third year uh, at the time uh, so I was, uh, two things just consumed my life, just, just a lifestyle that was not pleasing to God, uh, really living for myself. Uh, the other thing was basketball. I was, I was playing basketball for the national team here, so uh, the Malawi national team. Uh, so those two things were sort of like my life. And, and so, um, uh, but the Lord had to bring, uh, because of all that, um, Coming from a, a family that, that took us to church uh, as, as early as um, just as young boys uh, in the home, um, we in college just stopped going to church. Up, up, you know. So the Lord had to use a, a very humbling circumstance to sort of um, bring me to a place where I could consider and think about my life. Um, uh, I, was, I had read the Bible. I... Uh, I, I knew just the basic claims of the Christian faith. Um, and so when, when the Lord, so the Lord put me in a hospital, in the hospital for like three months, uh, literally, I thought I was going to die. Uh, and during that time, I became agnostic. I became very angry uh, with God. I couldn't believe why um, a good person like me could, could end up in a situation like that. <laughs> I look back, I'm like, no, you're not a good person, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, during, the, during those uh, three months was also a time where I began to think, you know, I, I'm not a good person. Uh, if I died, I was going to hell. Um, that my life was a, a life, uh, that I lived a life for myself, to please myself. and um, uh, to glorify myself, I think with the basketball and had become like a god to me. Uh, I worshipped and and spent pretty much everything I did was around you know playing basketball. Um, and the Lord began just using those you know thoughts. I picked up the Bible again, started reading. Um, one time, a friend of mine was talking to, uh, seeking to encourage uh, someone who had lost a father. And um, one of the texts that he was using, and I'm, I'm not sure why someone would use John 3 verse 3, uh, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, um, as, a, as a verse to encourage someone who's lost a father. 
you know, and I was sitting in that room. Everyone thought I was a Christian and I listened and I thought, I've polished up my life, but I'm not a Christian. That is what I need. And hearing those words being read, I'm like, that is what I need. I need to be born again. Like I need the Lord to change me, to, to give me a new life. Um, so that, that sort of, I think it was like a two day period where I wrestled with, uh, with that thought and that text. And I believe it was during that period that the Lord brought me to, to himself, give me faith to believe in Jesus. Um, and since then, 2003, uh, that was, um, it's, it's been a wonderful, uh, journey of, of growth, uh, knowing more and more of him and understanding um what he's done for me better um yeah so you you mentioned even now but i've read before where you said there was a a moment before you were converted you had three months of what you would say would be depression of of suffering and that was for a number of reasons but one reason might be what martin lloyd jones would call the awakened sinner and that is the Holy Spirit was convicting you. You yeah. couldn't enjoy your old life yeah. of sin. Yeah. You couldn't enjoy the new life yeah. of a new creature in Christ. Yeah. You're yeah. in between. Yeah. You're the awakened sinner. The Holy Spirit's convicting you, and you're miserable. And yeah. there's some listening yeah. today who are in that place. Yeah. They're actually, in one sense, closer to Christ than they were before, but they're more miserable. Yeah. Why is that? Why were you so miserable? Why was there depression? What is the awakened yeah. sinner? And what hope can you give to yeah. someone right now who's in that place? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I always likened it to um, a person who, say, say there's a person who is just caught up in, say, false teaching, and they're making a transition as they're beginning to understand the scriptures better and better. And they're making a transition to believing uh, properly what the Bible teaches, becoming you know, having a clear understanding of the claims of the Christian faith, uh, it, it's a very difficult time. And that's why a lot of people find themselves depressed, like myself, I was, uh, because there's a lot of confusion. You're questioning a lot of things you've believed for, for many years. Uh, but at the same time, you are, but there's also the, the, there is the, the enemy as well at play there, um, you know, questioning, you know, questioning your new beliefs, uh, your new direction. Uh, there is also a lot of fear, and that's what depression is about, isn't it? Uh, it's fear. Uh, so there's a lot of fear as well because there's just a lot you don't know, even though you're moving forward towards um, a, a new life. Uh, but there's, there's also people around you who are also discouraging you. Uh, who are, like in my case, people used to say, yeah, we can see you've made changes, but we've done that before. You will come back to your old life. And if you're a new believer and you don't know anything about, say, backsliding and all those things, uh, it's a scary moment. It's a scary moment because you know you don't want to go back to your old life. Uh, at the same time, you have very little understanding of where you're going. And so if there's someone in that situation, I think one of the things that I didn't have if, is to, to have people guide me and direct me and disciple me, if I, if I may say, um, is, is someone in that position should find people that can lead, guide. If you're someone who knows someone like that, reach out to them, guide them, bring them along, help them understand this new life and what is happening around them. Yeah. Okay, so Christ saves you. 
He gives you new life. You're regenerated. And now you're growing in your walk. You're reading God's word and you are sensing a call to preach, which brings us to another question, which is, how do I know if I'm called to preach? Now, as pastors, you and I would counsel men. There's another, a number of ways that we can know if we're called to preach. It might be the ability that God has given us. That's a point. Uh, what the church elders, what other people are saying about us. But there's another element, which is desire. First Timothy 3.1, yeah. if a man desires yeah. the yeah. office of a bishop, yeah. he desires a good thing. That's very important yeah. in a call into the ministry. Yeah. In your journey, you're just starting kind of organic Bible studies, and then you, you have this fire in your heart. Yeah. It makes me think of Jeremiah. Yeah. I had this yeah. fire in my heart, and I was weary with forbearing. I could not say, I, I had to speak it yeah. to the point where you said you even had a difficult time trying to explain this to your parents, yeah. like what, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, yeah. how you knew that you were called to preach and what was it yeah. that the Lord was doing in your heart? So um, around that time, uh, done in school, started working, um, enjoyed my job, always enjoyed engineering, uh, something that uh, just really was a, a part of, uh, among the few things that I enjoyed at the time. Um, so, but, but being with a, a group of men and women and, and, and talking about the things of God, uh, you, know, you know, just our meetings would go on and on. There was no time set where we could stop. It just went on and on. Um, it was just something we did, something that was part of our lives, something that was exciting to do. Um, and, and, and for me, just developing the desire uh, to teach and, and preach and, uh, and and in a sense, shepherd others, bring others along. You know, uh, our, our group was quite evangelistic, so, so we'd go out and share the gospel. So those things became very natural for us. Um, uh, it was really without effort. So, uh, which I think not only made it, also made it difficult for people around us because they couldn't understand why we were gravitating towards the ministry, then you know, just anything else in life, especially work, business, and other things. Um, yeah, so f for me, it was a very, um, uh, in terms of the decision itself, it was easier because this was something I just naturally enjoyed doing. Uh, uh, and then as time went by, convinced that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I, I, I didn't have, a, at first I didn't have a clear picture that meant pastoral ministry. I cared for people, wanted to share the gospel. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Bible all the time. Uh, so I didn't know that, I didn't have a clear picture that meant translated into uh, pastoral ministry, shepherding, because we just didn't know better at the time. Uh, but as time went by, um, it became very clear that I wanted to do this full time. And it became very clear that this would have to be in a church setting because we've, we felt the desire ourselves that we couldn't continue as a Bible study. We needed to be in a place where uh, we could have shepherds, we could be guided, we could be laid, uh, a place where we could submit. But as we read the Bible, we read all these good books, uh, all these things are becoming very clear. Um, so, you know, so it was, it, was, uh, it was difficult for those around us, but 
for for me and and a few other brothers as well that, that ended up in ministry later on uh, these were easy decisions for us so it started with the desire and you saw a level of ability that the lord gave you and then you have other men what we, what would you say to someone who says yes that's me just like pastor mala i have a desire to preach but what would you say to that man who doesn't seem to have gifting to preach and he's not receiving words from the body of Christ that he's called to preach. Is that man called to preach as well? I would say no. Um, and I think that's the problem uh, on the continent that you know you have a lot of self-appointed uh, pastors. A guy wakes up in the morning and says, I feel, I feel called to preach, whether he's gifted or not, whether there are testimonies uh, from others about him or not, you know, um, I would say to that person that you're not, you're not called to preach. Now I've noticed, and you've, you've talked a lot about pastor. I hear pastor, pastor, elder. I'm not hearing you say apostle. I'm not saying, hearing you say prophet. Why is that? Well, I think uh, if you read, um, uh, just you read the Bible, uh, it's, it's clear that, that there, there, there was a specific time uh, where God gave the church the office of an apostle. Um, and we had apostles uh, for a specific purpose. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure there's enough time to go into all of that, but I think it's good to make it clear that, that um, it was a specific purpose for a specific time that God gave men, the church, uh, apostles. Uh, and when those apostles died, having fulfilled their goal, their purpose, uh, that office died with them. Uh, I, for many people, that's very difficult to understand. And so we end up today with just self-appointed apostles. But, but, but all the apostles in the Bible were no self-appointed men. Uh, they had to be handpicked by God, by Christ himself, including Paul. Uh, or they had to be picked by the apostles uh, and given that honor to serve alongside them. Yeah, and, and that reminds us of Ephesians 2.20. Apostles, prophets, foundation of the church. Yeah, you don't lay the yeah. foundation twice. Yeah. Very common to see signboards, billboards, yeah. uh, apostle so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, doctor so-and-so, pastor of pastors so-and-so. Yeah. We need in Africa humble pastors. Yeah. Paul's role as a missionary was establishing elders in every town he went to, not yeah. apostles, not yeah. prophets. Yeah. We need humble pastors yeah. who carry the qualifications of a pastor in 1 yeah. Timothy 3 and yeah. will faithfully yeah. and humbly shepherd their flock. That's right. That's right. Okay, here we are in Malawi. What are some of the greatest deterrents to your work? You face some difficulties that a pastor in Brazil or China wouldn't face. Let's just walk through a few of them. First one that comes to mind would be the prosperity gospel, mm -hmm. which is another gospel, yeah. which says Jesus Christ yeah. came to earth to make us healthy yeah. and wealthy. This mm -hmm. is in contrast to Paul's words in Acts yeah. 14. Mm -hmm. It is through many trials and tribulations that we come into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Talk to us about how the prosperity gospel yeah. has taken root in Africa, how it deters your ministry. Yeah. And although the prosperity gospel is all throughout the world, it seems to have a deeper root yeah. in Africa. Yeah. And I'd like you to talk to us yeah. of why that is. Yeah, yeah so, so the prosperity gospel, 
um, has, I mean, it's the predominant uh, thought and, and idea. And when a lot of people that you meet today who say they're Christians, uh, chances are that uh, they have embraced and they embrace the prosperity gospel. Again, we have to be clear, it is not a gospel, it is not the gospel, but that's where uh, the majority of the people you meet around seeing uh, Christians uh, would be. Um, and so what it does is, and it makes very work, our work very difficult, and any, any faithful gospel preacher will find it very difficult operating in an environment like that because uh, people have heard that, they think it's the gospel, they have believed it. Uh, it's, it's like what, what we, we, in medical terms, they would say inoculation. They're inoculated, basically. If you bring the true gospel, they won't receive it, they won't accept it because they have already received a false version of it or a version of the gospel that they think is the gospel. And it's just hard for people like that to listen to anything true that you have to, you, you have to say. And the true gospel would be giving a lot of bad news before it yes. gives the, the good news. You, you're a sinner, you're lost, yeah. you're dead in your sins, you're yeah. a child of Satan, yes. Johnny 44. You're telling yeah. me that the prosperity gospel is not giving them the bad news? They're not telling them about their, their sin? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the prosperity gospel, it, it's not a gospel because, first of all, it, it doesn't get to the, address the issue. Man's problem, what is that? Sin, it doesn't deal with that. Um, it doesn't uh, address what, uh, you know, give people hope. Basically, what God has done is sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners, that on the cross He carried our sins and He was Christ for our sins. Um, it, it doesn't proclaim to people that even when it does, it doesn't tell people what they get out of the gospel, out of the crucifixion of Christ, which is the forgiveness of our sins. And I like to always tell people that the prosperity gospel, even though we tolerate it today, uh, we don't confront it as we should, especially among those who preach uh, the true gospel, that we need to know that this is blasphemy, that, that they are blaspheming uh, God and Christ and all that he has done because he shed his blood, Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Blood had to be shed, in a, had to be a perfect sacrifice for us to be forgiven. They take that and say blood, the blood of God, Acts 20, that he bought his church, he purchased it, God purchased his church with his own blood, that the blood of God was shed so that we can have things. And I'm always asking people to say, do you think that God had to die just for you to have a better car? That's blasphemy. So the prosperity gospel is not just a few percentage points off. This is another gospel. This is, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. And those who preach it are, 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 are blasphemers. We, we have to be able to say that. It makes me think we've written our own uh, catechism for the Tsonga people, and one of them is, why did Christ come to earth? Answer, Jesus Christ came to remove the Father's wrath, not to make us rich. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. God's wrath yeah. resides on us. Yeah. We're in great danger. We are, as you mentioned, yeah. on the road to the city of destruction. Yes. Yeah. We need a new heart. Yeah. We need that that wrath removed, and the only way that can happen is yeah. when we look to Christ who bore yeah. for us what we should have borne, which was the yeah. Father's wrath. Right. Okay, right. Islam, talk to us yeah. about that. 
growing numbers, almost a fifth now or so of, of the population now yeah. Islamic, and certain regions, yeah. Mongochia and Machinga, would be much larger percentages of yeah. Islam. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, yeah, Malawi has, and, and, to, and, and to, to the surprise of many people, uh, a growing number uh, of people who are following that religion, uh, Islam, uh, where, where we live in Blanta, we're surrounded by mosques, you know, four or five, uh, I believe, just around us. Um, so it's a growing religion. And it never used to, they never used to be as aggressive as they are right now. But, but Muslims are becoming more and more aggressive, uh, not aggressive in terms of persecuting Christians, but aggressive in reaching out evangelism, uh, which is sad because uh, Christians are becoming less and less evangelistic. Muslims are becoming more and more evangelistic. Um, we have a mosque just uh, not far from here, five minutes, where they have every month, they have, they have built uh, a massive, big, beautiful mosque, and they have sort of like an open day where you can come, meet the imam, ask questions, uh, see the place, get resources and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's growing, it's influential. And part of that is because they have find, found a way and ways to address uh, poverty uh, because Malawi is a very poor country. Uh, and so they, they, they are able to draw people, again, using mercy ministries, you know. Um, so that's just one of the things that we have to deal with here. So now you're pastoring for how many years now? Uh, this is my 14th year as a pastor in this particular church, but I was a youth pastor before that. Okay, that's Antioch Baptist, Baptist Church. church in Blantyre, Malawi. Let me just give a couple words that seem to describe your church. I'll just give you the word and then you just very briefly, for our listeners, kind of define like what, what that means. First word, expositional. So yeah, um, our church, we, we, we love uh, to uh, preach uh, the Bible uh, as we understand it and, and from a historical perspective. Uh, literal interpretation uh, of scripture, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And that would be in contrast to those who find a verse and then just start telling stories or jumping all over. You're going to find the passage, go faithfully through it. Yes, yeah. And let, let the scriptures dictate uh, your, what your sermon will look like. Evangelistic. So uh, every week uh, we go out, um, preach, preach the gospel. Uh, talk to people one-on-one. We host evangelistic Bible studies where we, the goal is to, to sit down with people for an hour. Nothing uh, glamorous. It's just one whole hour of uh, Bible teaching, and we have about eight of those uh, within the city of Blantyre. So myself, my co-elder, and some of the men in the church uh, do teach those meetings. Last word, Reformed. What, what does this word mean? I hear these men attaching it to their church or talk about their theology or about the books they read. In layman's terms, when you say your church is reformed, what does that mean? I know it's used differently in some places, but we basically mean that we are historical in our understanding of the scriptures, following in the footsteps of the reformers, what they taught, what they believed, and especially what their goal was 
that was to continue to reform, to continue to let the Lord use the word to sanctify them, change them, grow in their knowledge and love and service uh, of Christ. And that's what we mean when we say we're reformed. Uh, and, and I would add to that, it just also means that we're confessional. Uh, when we say we're historical, uh, Baptist, meaning we are a confessional church. That would point back to the five solas in our own church, in our little village. We have the five solas uh, right behind the pulpit. Sola Scriptura, that's Scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Uh, to God alone be the glory. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. That is, we, we don't look to our own works, we don't look to our own merits, we don't look to our own tradition. We look to the scriptures, we look to Christ, we, we trust in Him alone so that He alone would receive the glory. All right, real quick, give us some influential books. I'm, I'm here right now surrounded by Puritans. <laughs> I've got Newton on this side, and I've got Jonathan Edwards, and I've got Banner of Truth and uh, Isaac Watts. Obviously, we don't grow in a vacuum. We have people influencing us. Real quick, give us a few authors or maybe even a few books that have really influenced you. So, Sibs, uh, the Bruce Reed. Um... Uh, if someone is sort of looking for a, a, a book where to start, uh, you know, a simple read that they could read quickly, enjoy a Bruce Reed, which I read recently and I try to read it every year uh, as much as I can. Um, it's a very good book. You will be counseled, uh, you will be comforted, you will be encouraged by that book. Uh, John Calvin, The Christian Life, was uh, published by Ligonier. It's a small book. Uh, if you're looking for a mentor, a father, someone who can just hold your hand and say, let me walk you through the Christian life, what it looks like and what it means. Um, a simple book on the Christian life by John Calvin, uh, published by Ligonier. Excellent book. If you're like a, a person who likes to read heavy things, you want to be challenged, you want to, to sort of be lost in a book and be found, uh, pick up The City of God by uh, St. Augustine, which is one of the books that are... I, again, I try to read every year as well. Uh, excellent book has been uh, instrumental and uh, transformational for me, uh, especially with what is going on now and, and what, I'm, what we're dealing with now. When I look at the West, when I look at what is happening in the world, uh, it's one of, the, one of the books that helps me make sense of, of, of the world. Um, You've mentioned a bunch of dead guys. Does that mean you're out of touch? Should we not be more concerned about modern authors Joe Osteen, your best life now, he seems to be gathering the thoughts of today's generation. You're just mentioning guys who lived hundreds of years ago. Why do you gravitate to those men rather than the freshest, newest guys today? Well, I guess maybe they are not too distracted like us today. <laughs> no, um, uh, so I, I do read some of the modern uh, authors as well. Uh, but I do, I do find um, a lot of those that have gone before us uh, to write in such a way that uh, in many ways I would even say prophetic, you know, and dealing with issues today uh, in ways that maybe we might not be able to. Uh, but uh, also just their faithfulness, ways in which God used them, um, 
And then, yeah, there are also other good authors who are biblical, who are sound, godly men that truly fear the Lord, who are writing good books uh, in our day and age as well. But you also get other false teachers who are doing the same, writing books. You mentioned Joel Osteen. Uh, he hasn't, uh, he's proved himself to not uh, be uh, a man of God or a shepherd of God's people. T.B. Like Joshua, TV Pastor Chris, Chris uh, Bushiri. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, th these, are, these are not preaching the gospel. They're, they're, they're preaching a false gospel. Mm -hmm. their, their desire really uh, is the things of this world um, and, and to enrich themselves and not to shepherd uh, the church of God. And people should stay away from such men. Brother, this has been excellent. Last question, perhaps the most important, that is, how can we be praying for your church? And what does the church in Malawi need the most in 2024? Well, uh, pray for our church uh, that will not, will not lose heart, I believe. Uh, it, we, we don't necessarily need to switch gears in 2024, but to continue doing the same things we've been doing mm -hmm. as in the past few years. Uh, Preach the gospel, be simple, simplicity, be simple, preach the gospel, uh, watch the Lord change lives one by one. Um, so pray that we will not lose heart, but continue to press on. Uh, Malawi needs the gospel. Uh, we pray that the Lord will raise up more men, more women who will be willing to go out in our streets, offices, business places, willing to share the gospel in their community, just communicating the simple gospel with people. Brother Mala, thank you for your faithfulness, for your labor of love. Thank you for the interview, and may the Lord bless you as you faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ as a shepherd for our precious Lord and Savior. Amen. 